Welcome, you're listening to A Certain Degree. Amy Green from the WMFE Newsroom is the guest on this episode and talks about her inspiration for a book, how she got into journalism, and much more. This episode is brought to you by Fill in the Gaps. Do you have some spaces in your resume that are a turnoff to potential employers? Let Fill in the Gaps retroactively hire you. We have a number of shell corporations you can apply to, and if your check clears, you're guaranteed to land the job. Sample positions include Flavor Curator, Sound Design Ambassador, and Beard Sommelier. Fill in the gaps. Spruce up your resume with ethically questionable semi-lies. Apply at toacertaindegree.com. The Red Hot Chili Peppers on WPRK Winter Park, Florida. That was Throw Away Your Television. Good morning. My name is Nick. You're listening to a certain degree on WPRK. Uh, that was uh, played specifically for my guest today. Amy Green is here from WMFE. Good morning, Amy. Hey, good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, yeah, so Red Hot Chili Peppers, throw away your television because you work at WMFE. You work for a radio station. I do. We're on the radio right, right now. A different radio station than you're that's usually true. on. So that's two down. And how many more are in Orlando? I feel like at some point you should be on all of them. Okay. Yeah, because you're really good at your job. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. Of course. And so that was one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, learn a little bit more about how you got to be on radio because you started out in print. I did. Uh, if I'm uh, understanding your background, uh, yeah, I do extensive research on people's back. I do a, I do a Google search, basically, is what it comes down to. Uh, so we're going to play a game first to get to know you a little bit better because you and I don't know each other all that well. And what I usually do is... Uh, instead of this and that, it's this or that. So you would say uh, like uh, gin or tonic. So gin if you like something, tonic if you don't. So I was trying to come up with things related to water. And unfortunately, water is always at the end. So bread or water, oil or water, hell or high water. And I didn't want water to be the bad thing. So I went with flotsam or jetsam. Okay. So flotsam, you're for something it's unfortunately a ship that has uh, something's happened to and it's pieces of the ship. Jetsam is actually the uh, the stuff from the ship. So the cargo that's floating around. Okay. That's the difference. Did you know that? Um, I don't think so. No. Okay. Well, now you do. And so that's how we'll do the game. Okay. So you ready? I'm ready. Great. Uh, let's go with the eclipse. How do you feel about the eclipse? Flotsam or jetsam? Oh, flotsam. I'm really looking forward to the eclipse. At yeah. WMFE... Well, uh, we received some tickets from the Orlando Science Center as a donation. Mm -hmm. And so we're planning to close the building early this afternoon and go over to the Science Center. And I'm going to pick my daughter up early from school and, and bring her. And so I'm really looking forward to watching the eclipse. Very nice. Very nice. How about voicemail? How do you feel about voicemail? Um, I guess, you know, I don't know how I feel about voicemail. I mean, you know, it's a helpful thing, but... You know, a lot of times I feel like on the cell phone, you call someone, you leave a voicemail and the person doesn't listen to it because the person can just see on the caller ID that yeah, you called. called. And, yeah. and so the person calls back and I'll say, did you listen to my voicemail? And the person says no. And you I have to tell did. it all over again. Right. Right. <laughs> so. All right. So somewhere between Flotsam and Jetsam on that one. Yeah, I, I guess like. ambivalent. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Very good. 
How do you feel about, and let's just assume Brendan uh, Byrne is listening, but colonizing Mars, flotsam or jetsam? Oh, flotsam. Okay. You know, I guess I would say I'm a journalist and exploration, you know, is a pretty, it's something at the heart of journalism. And so I would be pretty into Getting going to Mars and colonizing yeah. Mars, I think. Yeah. Would you want to go? Um, I guess I would say yes, although logistically, if it were a situation where you would go to Mars and you would not be able to come back to Earth, then maybe Jetson. Okay. Very good. Uh, let's see. Orlando just announced last week, I think, we're going to go renewable by 2050. How do you feel about that? Flotsam or Jetson? Uh, flotsam. Yeah. Yeah. As an environmental reporter, I think that would be something I would support. What I like about it, too, is the 2050 goal uh, seems aggressive. Uh, to go 100% renewable by then. But, you know, one of the things that I think Chris Castro was uh, talking about, sort of the uh, green, what's, um, I can't remember his title, but it, for the city, he basically takes care of all of yeah, that or yeah. oversees all of that. Um, there might be new technology coming out any day now, That's which true. allows you to, your, would allow us to get there potentially even faster. Mm -hmm. So 2050 is a very, I, I feel like is a very realistic goal. Mm hmm uh, how do you feel, Flotsam or Jetsam, zombies? Oh, zombies. Um, big fan of The Walking Dead, the TV show. Mm -hmm. um, not a fan of being attacked by one. Um, I don't know how to answer that question. So Flotsam in fiction and Jetsam in real life. Maybe so, yes. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. And, you know, so Walking Dead, are there any other zombie apocalypse type of uh, movie shows, books that you like? Not really. Just just The Walking Dead, pretty much, I guess. So it's because of their wonderful zombie character development. I think so, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. those are the best zombies, I yeah. think, are the yeah. ones where you really get to know them. Right. Uh, this is uh, something from Amazon. They recently requested a trademark on this phrase, single cow burger. Oh, okay. How do you feel about that? Flotsam or Jetsam? How come we can't call it hamburger or cheeseburger? Uh, I think what they're talking about is this idea that, yes, a hamburger, cheeseburger, or ground beef in general might come from a number of different cows. Oh, okay. So this one would come from one cow. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, does it sound kind of pretentious? Uh, just when you say it out loud. Does it sound kind of hipster? Or when you read it. Maybe Jetsam on that. Okay. Get some right out the door on that one. Uh, Amy, kitchen sponges. How do you feel about kitchen sponges? Are they kind of smelly and stinky? Yeah. So they just came out with a new study that says basically you cannot clean those things to get them fully clean because of what they are. I mean, just by nature of cleaning, you know, the flotsam and jetsam of your food. Uh, so basically you should uh, replace them every week. Oh. Yeah. That's not something I do in our household. That bums me out to no end because I don't know what to do about it now. So there's no way I can, and I, I don't have that kind of sponge money. But you need them to clean. I mean, how else yeah. would you clean your dishes, right? Right. So microwaving, um, they're running them under hot water doesn't really work. I don't know if you could bleach them. That sounds even worse to me because then you I get think, bleach I think, all over. I think flotsam because I think you need them to at least, you know... Do try to do something to clean your dishes, right. even though there are some health dangers there, I guess. How do you feel about driverless cars? Um, I don't know. I don't have any personal experience with one. Mm -hmm. um, 
I don't know. I guess maybe that would be another ambivalent one for me. Are you fearful of them? Do you like the idea of them? Um, I guess that was a leading question. <laughs> Are you scared they're going to take over the world? Like zombies? Um, I guess not really. I guess flotsam. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's good then. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so we'll have a big test track here coming up in Lake County. I think they've already started building it. And so we'll potentially have, right. you know, a lot of research associated with it and hopefully have some, uh, driverless cars soon. Okay. I like the idea of really being able to concentrate on my favorite NPR station, WMFB, exactly. when yes. I'm in the car rather than have to split my time That's and attention Ex between driving yeah. and uh, listening to your great coverage of the environment in Florida. I and appreciate that. that. Nature. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm good at this. <laughs> uh, let's see. The Orlando flag. Where did you land on that? Flotsam or Jetsam? And this is Amy Green, the person, not Amy Green, the reporter for WMFE. Oh, um, I wonder if that's, you know, I wonder if Ethically, that's something I can comment on because that's something our station has been covering. I oh, wonder yeah. if that would, I wonder if that's okay. something that would prevent me from being unbiased or yeah, something. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So let's go back uh, to something else then. How about floating warehouses? So the idea is Amazon put some patents out and then Walmart just recently put some patents out on this idea of a floating warehouse where things are delivered via drone. So basically this is a blimp that sits above us and you need toothpaste. The drone would pick it up and bring it down to your door. I guess, you know, I think I would have to say Jetsam on that because it feels very kind of like something that falls into this narrative that Americans are materialistic and mm -hmm. need more stuff and um, need it faster. Need it faster and you know urbanization of you know the the fast urbanization of landscapes and there's something about that that bothers me. I think. I think the the one thing that bothers me is it doesn't get down fast enough. The drones can be very time consuming. So I think if it had cannons uh, or catapults yep. of some kind. To get me that toothpaste faster. Yeah. I think that's where I was thinking that it would be better. Yeah. And if Walmart wants to one-up Amazon, if Amazon's already doing the patents for this, Walmart really needs to step up their game. Well, and uh, I don't know, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I'm just thinking, where does this leave, you know, like local businesses and, you know, the human interaction involved and, you know, going to the store? I mean, I'm a working mother and I'm all about convenience for sure, mm -hmm. but... Um, does that seem like it's going too far, maybe? So what I'm hearing is uh, the drone would come down with not only your stuff, but with a person to hand it to you. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, maybe that would help. <laughs> I, I'm sure it would not. Uh, where do you stand, Amy, on cursive? So states have started requiring it again. I can't remember if it's required in, in Florida, uh, but you have a daughter that will soon be learning uh, to, I'm sure she's already learning how to write, but she might be learning cursive soon. Where do you stand on it? You know, I took cursive when I was in school. And at this point in my life, I am a much stronger typer than I am at writing. Um, and a lot of times when I'm, you know, out in a reporting situation, I'll even just bring my laptop and take my notes on my laptop because my writing is so much slower. Um, 
But I do feel like, you know, even in today's digital age, I feel like that's something worth preserving. I would say Flotsam on that. Okay. Very good. Where do you stand Flotsam or Jetsam sandwiches? Oh, sandwiches. You know, I would have to say lately I'm going through a sandwich burnout. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I feel like I've reached a point in my life where I've maybe had one too many sandwiches. Maximum sandwich capacity. I, I have, maybe so. Um, I have been eating um, some peanut butter banana sandwiches lately. Um, Get you back into it. Just introduce your palate back to sandwiches. The turkey sandwich, the ham sandwich. I'm kind of burned out on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Very good. <laughs> so maybe some wraps are in your future. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Do you have a favorite sandwich normally? Um, yeah, I've been eating a lot of peanut butter and banana sandwiches. I do love the sandwiches at the place over in College Park, um, Gabriel's. Gabriel Subs. That place is great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That brought me back. Now I'm hungry. So right during this next break, if we could just get a drone to deliver us some Gabriel Subs. There you go. We're going to do that. With, a, pers- knows with a person who can oh, yeah, hand who, the yeah, sandwiches. I think Gabriel should be attached to it somehow. Uh, not somehow, just like a normal way to be attached to a drone. I'm not sure if there is a normal way. How do you feel about the beach? Oh, I love the beach. Um, I grew up in Clearwater in Sarasota and um, uh, my parents had a boat and all of my parents' friends had boats. And that's something we did every weekend. I mean, like every Saturday and Sunday, we camped on the boats. And that's really how I grew up in the state of Florida. And um, so flotsam on that. I love going to the beach. All right. Very good. Millennials. Flotsam <laughs> or Jetsam. Why, why is I, that funny? Can I take a no comment on that? Why? Well, because I'm because I'm on a college station right now. Oh, it's fine. None of the college <laughs> students are here right now. Class doesn't start till next week. You know, I have to say that the WMFE newsroom is um, most of most of the people in the newsroom are millennials. And it's just so much fun to, you know, work with them because I just, I don't know. I hope I don't sound like an old person saying this, but I love the spirit and I love, it the just, energy it, it and, makes me feel yeah. younger. Yeah. 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 So I think there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, when it comes to the generations and putting labels on them and everything else, you know, you and I are Gen X and we were seen as the slackers and, you know, the, everything that was absolutely wrong with the world was blamed on us essentially. I think that just keeps going, right? Yeah, like maybe so. Millennials yeah. and next it'll be Gen Z, whatever. That's 2000 on, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, but it's nice because I feel like as I do get older, and I don't know, I'm not going to assign this to you. It is nice to assign blame to <laughs> a bigger group and not just think that it's my fault anymore. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice job, millennials. Uh, how do you feel about tiny houses? Tiny houses. Flotsam or Jetsam? Well, you know, my house is not a tiny house, but probably compared to the houses that a lot of other people live in, it is a tiny house. Mm-hmm. My house contains only two closets um, and they're pretty small. And so I actually enjoy watching those tiny house shows quite a bit um, for <laughs> storage ideas and decorating sure. ideas. Um so flotsam on that. Yeah. Okay. Because one of those closets has to be just all your hats. I assume as a reporter, <laughs> you have a lot of hats. Disguises. I'm thinking like a Fletch situation. Um, where you yeah, go I out guess, and... Yeah, you know, I do have a few hats. I also, I do have a trench coat. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I like it. So this is all just happening <laughs> in my head. Just imagining you as that classic uh, 
uh, <laughs> reporter style. Uh, soda tax and raising the age on cigarettes, flotsam or jetsam. Soda a tax on soda? Mm-hmm. Oh. So a few places have uh, passed this. I think, I can't remember if it was California, but New York City has definitely passed it. A tax on soda? Yeah. Maybe flotsam on that because... Um, you know, we're experiencing this obesity epidemic and all of these health issues mm-hmm. associated with sugar consumption. Maybe you've got some on that. Okay. And then finally, cobbler, the dessert, not the uh, person who fixes your shoes. Um, Unless you feel strongly about people who fix shoes. Which, like, are we talking about apple cobbler, cobbler or blackberry cobbler? Uh, any of them. Um, yeah. So yeah. do you have a preference? Pre- Oh, definitely apple. Yes. Apple cobbler. Um, yeah. Yeah. Plus so them on that. Peach. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Sounds yeah. pretty delicious. Mixed berry cobbler. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah, I'm getting hungry again. Uh, <laughs> cobbler or pie. Do you have any strong feelings? Maybe one way pie, or the other? Oh, you I, do a pie. Because I do enjoy the crust. Yeah. 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 yeah so cobbler is kind of all just kind of like a, um, uh, you know, unfulfilled pie. Yeah. Yeah. I do enjoy the crust and I do enjoy the pastry. Very good. All right, so if I could ask you uh, to pick uh, green or pink, and what I'm going to do is ask you a question from a former guest. Okay, uh, how about green? Green. Very good. I think this is the right one. I thought. Oh, here it is. I'm getting the old ones out. Ha-ha. What was the last book you read and why? If none, what do you want to read? Okay. Um, good question for you. Well, I'm in the middle of rereading um, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks at the moment. And the reason I'm reading that is because I'm working on a book myself about the Everglades. And I'm kind of modeling the book after the Henrietta Lacks book. And so um, it's such a great book. If you haven't read it, it's so fascinating. Um, It's about about, um, a woman named Henrietta Lacks. And... um, she, you know, died, you know, I guess in the, in the mid-century, 1950s or so, um, you know, she just was terribly ill with cancer and she died. And at the time of her death, doctors were and researchers were trying to grow human cells um, as a means of researching, you know, various medical treatments. And they were having trouble getting the cells to grow in laboratory. Um, Henrietta Lacks died of just this you know, terrible, agonizing death of cancer. And they, and at the time of her death, they took some of her cells without her knowing. And these cells just took off and they just grew like no one had ever experienced. And, um, and they led to all kinds of advances in medicine, uh, like infertility, polio. Mm. I mean, just, you know, innumerable advances, advances in medicine. While at the same time, her family never were told that her cells were harvested never really even knew about the whole thing and just lived in abject poverty, really couldn't even afford health care. And it's a fascinating book about the story of this woman and the story of her family and, and, you know, the family coming to grips with what happened to her cells and, 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 you know, medical ethics, you know, what are the ethics of, you know, researchers taking a person's cells without telling the patient. Right, right, and, and then using um, them and potentially discovering something. Right, and also it deals with racial issues. The woman was black, and it talks about, you know, medical treatment, um, 
you know, um, back 50, 60, 70 years ago for black patients. Um, just a fascinating book. Wow. Okay. Well, very good. I'm going to have to pick that one up and we'll talk a little bit more about your book. Uh, you work at WMFE, how you ended up getting there. We'll have some bad business ideas, which I'm sure you're incredibly excited about. Sure. That was that was a little more excited than I thought you would be. So great. Uh, we'll be right back with Amy Green. My name is Nick. You're listening to a Certain Degree on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. This is Tegan and Sarah with The Ocean. Tegan and Sarah on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. That was The Ocean. And that's an appropriate song for us today. You're listening to a certain degree. I have Amy Green here uh, hey in the studio in the basement. How do you like the basement? Very nice. Yeah, thanks. We like it too. Uh, so Amy is here from WMFE. And so you do a lot of, basically what I wanted to talk to you about first was writing. So you're working on a book. You've been a journalist for a long time now. You did that uh, in school. And we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. But uh, let me, pardon me for an analogy for just one minute. So I'm a big fan of watermelon. And so uh, one of the reasons I think is because the Greek word for watermelon is one of the cooler Greek words. It's not a lot of cool Greek words. There's basically the swear words and the word for watermelon. And the word for watermelon is karpuzi. Okay. Just fun to say. But I've always let like if you if I get one of those big tubs from the grocery store that's already pre-cut, I'll think, oh, I'll be able to eat that all week. It's gone the same day. Generally, every once in a while, though. I have some leftover. Maybe it goes a little bit long and I'll eat it. I'll finish eating it. And then you've got the watermelon juice at the bottom and you drink it and it's just not right. It's just like a little bit gamey. It's still like watermelon, but a little bit gamey. The reason I shared that with you is because that's how I feel about writing. Uh, So my creative process, all of that, it, it comes out, I read it immediately afterwards and it just doesn't seem right. What's interesting though, is I let it sit for a while like a year later, two years later, you almost have to forget about it. And then I read it again. And I think who like, you know, I, I don't want to sound pretentious, but who wrote this? Like, this can't be me. I, I couldn't have written something this, you know, halfway decent. Uh, so your writing process, you write two different ways. You have to write for a very immediate audience and a very immediate turnaround. And then you're working on a book and you have a, you know, it's basically going to come out in uh, 2020. So you have a little bit of time on that. How do you balance those two types of, of writing? And how are you finding uh, that those processes to be different? You know, it's interesting that you characterize it that way. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I started out in uh, print journalism and um, I'm in radio journalism now. I work for WMFE and I kind of feel like as a writer, I kind of feel a little bit like I'm bilingual because writing for print is so much different than writing for radio. And as a matter of fact, when I am approaching a radio feature story, I often will start out in the planning process for the story. I'll think about it as a print story. I always, when I, even before I begin reporting, I'll do a little story outline and that will tell me who I need to talk to and what questions I need to ask and things like that. And I always do that outline as a print, um, 
as a print journalism story because I feel like I was in print journalism enough years that I kind of feel like that's my first language. Um, and then as I do the reporting and then I do a second outline right before I start writing, obviously I, mm -hmm. I do that as a radio story. So, um, but, um, writing for radio has been such a valuable experience for me because writing for radio, you, everything revolves around the sound and the ear and um, it has to be very conversational and it has to be very, very concise. And um, as a matter of fact, our, um, we call them newscast stories. The, those are the story, those are like the 40 second stories that are, appear, you know, at the top and bottom of the hours, you know, 40 seconds, that's about 150 words or so. And writing those stories, a lot of times, it's kind of like haiku because you have to be so concise and so right. economical with your information. And you have to think about, well, I'll, I'll put this information here and I'll put this information here. It's also very... Um, um, structurally, it's very formulaic because you have to have your bite in the middle. And um, so it's been a great experience. It's been very valuable because it really forces you to examine every word you use. Um, in print, you have the luxury of having more space, more time, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of spread out and really go in farther depth and, and explain things a little more thoroughly. I like to, I, I think this is indicative of NPR in general, is when you have the opportunity to use background noise or somehow incorporate, you know, sounds into your story as well, because I think that helps set the scene a lot more. You would do that in using descriptors and things of that nature in, in setting the scene in the print version or in the long form print version, um, as opposed to the radio. So has working uh, on radio and working in that sort of... Um, compressed time frame helped with your longer form writing. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, because, um, yeah, like I, I said, it really forces you to examine every word that you're using. And, um, and I, I think it, yeah, I think that's how it's improved my print writing in a lot of ways. Radio writing is just different because in radio, everything revolves around the sound. And so a lot of times what I do when I'm writing a radio feature is, I'll go through, listen to the sound that I have, you know, make notes about the bite, you know, my favorite bites. And you kind of write around those bites. You know, mm -hmm. you, you make an outline for the story and you, you, you decide what you want to say. And then as I write, I'll go through and I'll pull bites and I'll plug that into my script. And then I'll kind of write to that script and then, or write to that bite and then I'll pull the next bite, stick it in there, right to the next bite. And so in, with radio, you're kind of allowing the sound to tell the story. And, and your writing is kind of the transition or it's kind of guiding the listener from one bite to the next. Right. So and of course, you know, what I'd like to do is just write it and then tell the person what to say. So that's probably not the right way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically what I would hope. But uh, no, that's not the way to do it at all, uh, from what I understand. Well, so, okay, so writing the book then and then writing for the radio, you have these hard deadlines for radio. Uh, so first thing in the morning, you know, in the afternoon, you're working on something all day and you know it has to go. Whereas the book, you have this much longer uh, transition in terms of when it's due. I'm sure you have you know, certain goals within that uh, chapter, uh, this has to be done by this time, et cetera. 
what's the big difference for you in terms of those two uh, making those two uh, work for you? Well, writing a book, I mean, this is my first book, so <laughs> so there is that. But, um, you know, when you write a book, I kind of think about it as a series of articles. You know, each chapter is is you know, like a newspaper or a magazine article. And so, I mean, just for example, I'm working on a chapter now. It's not the first chapter in the book, but I started working on it because it just kind of coincided with some things that I'm working on at work and some mm -hmm. things that I had already reported out and published. And um, I'm just kind of um, an article that I had published a few years ago. I'm just kind of building off of that and so it's kind easy of to flesh that out. I'm kind yeah. of repurposing it for the book. Um, so I'm not necessarily writing the book in a chronological linear way. I'm kind of approaching each chapter as, uh, as I, I would a newspaper or a magazine article. So then how are you keeping uh, track of everything in such a, again, such a long timeline? Uh, is it you have to write a certain number of words a day? Is it you have to write, there's these uh, deadlines for the chapters? How are you tracking all that? Um, I think, you know, I mean, life is busy. Life is complicated. And I think what I am finding, you know, again, this is my first book and I'm new to this process. But what I'm finding is you can't really wait for that perfect time when you have a, a block of time that you can sit down and really luxuriate in, you know, time and writing, you know, um, I, you know, what I am trying to start to do is just, you know, even, you know, just if I have time to sit down and write one paragraph, mm -hmm. you know, even if I only have 10 minutes to take a look at one paragraph during a day, well, at least I'm, being productive and at least I'm getting something done. I think, you know, if you're waiting for that perfect time, it's just, you know, life is too busy. It's not going to happen. I think you just have to, you know, I mean, the idea of writing a book, it's kind of an overwhelming thing. And, and like, like any large goal like that, you have to break it off and chip away at it in small chunks. So how do you get unstuck if you ever get unstuck? Like what's your, and you know, not any trade secrets, of course, but what do you do? Is it get up, go for a walk? Is it just come back to it later? How do you typically get over that uh, about of writer's block? You know, I've always had good success with getting up and going for a walk. Sometimes when I'm at work and I'm stuck on a story at work, I'll get up and walk around in the parking lot and I'll bring my cell phone. And as ideas happen, I'll dictate them into my cell phone. Oh, that's a really good idea. <laughs> um you know, I've always had, I've always found my best writing does not take place at my desk. I've always been extremely intimidated and fearful of the blank page. Um, a lot of times when I'm outlining a story before I get started writing, I'll do it by hand in a notebook mm -hmm. because the blank screen is kind of too scary for me. Um, also, you know, after I finish working for the day, I'll continue to think about it in the car while I'm driving home, you know, while I'm at the grocery store making dinner, doing all of those things. And as ideas occur to me, I'll dictate them into my phone or I'll write them down. Um, yeah, I've always had success with that. And, and you know, I have, <laughs> I don't know what the technical writing term for this is. I've always called it throwing up on the page. If mm -hmm. you get really stuck and you're on a deadline and, and you're like, 
look, I've got to get somewhere with this story. I'll, I call it throwing up on the page. I'll just like everything that's in my brain, I'll just throw it up on the screen. Reads terribly, looks terribly, but at least, you know, my ideas are on the page and I have something that I can go back and work with. Work with, edit, yeah. that sort of thing. And at least you're not just sitting there with everything stewing in your brain and overwhelmed by how to get that All onto the blank potential page. Ideas, yeah. yeah. So do you ever go and uh, just sort of write your way through it? So, you know, just start free writing and just seeing eventually maybe it'll get somewhere. Maybe that's the more technical term yeah. it, rather than throwing up on the page. Maybe free writing is I'd what like other your, people your call it. I like description better. I'll be honest <laughs> yeah. with you. I like the uh, more vivid, very visceral <laughs> descriptions. Uh, that's interesting, too, because I think that is. Um, do you like uh, Monty Python? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Michael Palin was doing an interview not too long ago, or I think it was in his book and talking about how the um, Spanish Inquisition sketch came up. And so basically what they did was they all went and they started writing uh, by themselves. And then they brought together all their sketches and they felt like, okay, this one works. This one doesn't. Let's do this one. And Palin needed some sketches. He usually had like four or five, six sketches every week when they would meet. And he didn't have anything. It was Wednesday night, something like this. I'm probably telling the story wrong, but it was something like this. It was approximately this. Michael Palin, if you're listening, call in and let us know if this is correct. <laughs> uh, but he basically just starts writing. It's about a man and woman having breakfast. And, you know, the woman keeps interrupting the man as he's trying to read his paper. And then eventually he goes, I wasn't expecting the Spanish Inquisition. And then he took off from there. So just by starting that free writing process, yeah, we ended up with yeah. one of the most famous comedy sketches yeah. ever. So yeah, so that's a really, that's really good way. Look at that. You're like a young Michael Palin. There you go. Yeah. Nice job. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. So why don't we play another song and we'll go into uh, your book in a lot more detail because I want to get to that. Okay. Uh, and if you want to learn more about the book, you did reading recently at uh, actually here at Rollins College uh, for Borough Press. And so you can find that on the Borough Press website. It's actually boroughpress.org slash Amy hyphen green. So I do that very specifically and I have it up on uh, my website and Twitter and I'll link to Thank that. You. But it was really good. Yeah, it was Thanks. good to hear about that because we live here in Florida. We don't think about the Everglades and we don't think about sort of that middle of the, I didn't even know the Everglades were in Florida until I heard you read. Uh, I'm just kidding. I they are, they, yeah. Yeah, I, I heard something about them at some point. <laughs> so why don't we listen to uh, M. Ward uh, with Seashell Tale on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to A Certain Degree, by the way. M. Ward on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. That was Seashell Tale from End of Amnesia, I think is how you pronounce that. Good morning. My name is Nick. You're listening to a certain degree on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. I'm looking at my guest right now, Amy Green, and every time I do, I almost say WMFE. So you're <laughs> listening to WPRK, but Amy Green, my guest, the environmental reporter from WMFE, is from WMFE. So uh, if I do say that you're listening to WMFE, it's not for nefarious purposes. It's because my guest is from WMFE. <laughs> I feel like I've said WMFE 72 times now. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. Thanks nice for to coming see you. back. Uh, Amy, the Everglades, this is how I imagine, we're going to talk about your book. This is how I imagine your experience. Uh, you're wearing a pith helmet with a little fan in it. You've got a machete. You're wearing those 
rubber waders and you're exploring the Everglades on your own. And then you come across Mary Barley and Tom Van Lent, uh, who are both from the Everglades Foundation. Uh, and like, you know, superheroes and all the movies, for some reason, you guys have to fight first before joining forces to tell the story of the Everglades. That's not quite accurate. It just a, the story is just a little off. I actually had two machetes. Oh, not just one. nice. Man, you were just, I got to get through this. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. So what happened? And this um, was in 2008? This was in 2008. Yeah. So um, I grew up in Florida. I grew up in Clearwater in Sarasota. And after college, I went up to Nashville, Tennessee for a few years to work. And when I came back to Florida, it was just kind of like, wow, what happened here? You know, um, there was just this um, boom of development. Um, you know, I had my family, we were always avid boaters when I was a kid and um, just had loved going to the beach as a kid and can remember going to the beach after coming back from Nashville and, you know, swimming in the water and there was some kind of outbreak of jellyfish and you really couldn't even hardly swim because, you know, there were so many jellyfish that you were worried about getting stung and it was just, it was just kind of upsetting and it was just kind of, when I was in Nashville, I did a lot of religion writing because it kind of felt like religion was kind of the story of Nashville. And, mm. you know, back in Orlando and back in Florida, it just kind of felt like the environment was the story of Florida. And so I started pitching a lot of environmental stories. Um, and in 2008, um, just kind of coincidentally, my ex-husband and I were on vacation. We went on vacation in the Everglades. And while we were there, the news broke that um, the governor at the time, Charlie Crist, had had struck this deal with um, U.S. Sugar, which is the largest um, sugar grower um, in the Everglades agricultural area. And they had struck this deal to buy out U.S. Sugar and put that land toward Everglades restoration. And at the time, it was very big news um, because... Um, when it comes to Everglades restoration, um, the Everglades agricultural area, it's this very large farming community just south of Lake Okeechobee. Um, and it's kind of right near the heart of the Everglades. And, and it's always been, it's always been, that's always been a difficult aspect of Everglades restoration because the environmentalists would like to, you know, restructure that landscape and put that landscape toward Everglades restoration. But the people who live there, have lived there for generations, mm -hmm. they farm there for generations, and it's their home. And so that's always been very difficult. And so when this deal was announced, it was, you know, kind of a historic thing. And so I just, I pitched a story on it to Newsweek magazine, and I did a story, and then I did another story for the Christian Science Monitor. And um, my story for the Christian Science Monitor was about Mary Barley. And I can remember being in Everglades National Park with Mary Barley and with Tom Van Lent, who is a scientist for her Everglades Foundation. And I can remember Tom telling me this story about how, you know, back in the day or whatever, they constructed this highway through the heart of the Everglades. And over time, they noticed that the vegetation on one side of the highway was changing or transforming and becoming different than the vegetation on the other side of the highway. And they still kind of don't know why, but they think that just that subtle change in the flow of the water through the Everglades, the Everglades, it's a very slow flowing, you know, it's called a river of grass. 
Um, it's very slow, slow flowing. It's also a very low nutrient ecosystem, which means, um, you know, the nutrients that feed native plants. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very low nutrient system. And so very small, subtle changes like that can have a big difference. And so he was telling me this story and I just thought that was fascinating. I just was like, wow, this is so interesting. And I just started wanting to learn everything that I could about the Everglades. And I just got sucked into this whole vortex of political intrigue and environmental intrigue. And it all just kind of went from there. And so were you planning to, or did you concentrate on the environment prior to that in terms of your writing? You mentioned you were uh, writing uh, religious-based stories uh, when you were in Nashville. Is that something you intended or did that come about because of this Everglades? I think, I think my interest in the environment kind of evolved, especially after I came back to Florida mm -hmm. and could see the boom in development and could see, you know, the ramifications that were coming from that and the ramifications that were coming from the population boom that the state has been experiencing since the mid-century, you know. Um, I think also, you know, the environment was not as much a part of the American consciousness as it is now. I think that's a trend that's been evolving and, and gaining steam in recent years and recent decades. So. Gotcha. So let me ask you this coming out of high school. Uh, so switching over to sort of uh, you growing into this role as a journalist. Uh, is that something you knew you wanted to do? I always knew that I wanted to be a writer. I mean, from a very young age, I can remember my family going on vacations. Um, I mean, as young as, you know, when I was in second grade and I would come home and put together a little storybook and tell a little story about our vacation. And um, I, I've always wanted to be a writer from a very young age. And I thought, you know, journalism, whether <laughs> whether this is true or whether I thought this mistakenly, I thought that would be a way I could actually make a living, living doing it. Uh, and you have so nice job. <laughs> yeah, okay. you're, you're probably one out of ten uh, journalism majors actually does that. Yeah, uh, but and I'm not making fun of anybody. I was radio television myself, and now I'm in. I mean, I'm on the radio right now, technically, but I'm in so many other things. I was marketing, and now admissions. So I think that's uh, that's very interesting. Uh, so you went to UF. I did journalism the yep. entire time. Did, did you ever waver at all? Did you ever like, oh, maybe uh, biochemistry or maybe well, probably not biochemistry, but maybe political science or something along those lines? No, I never did. I always hmm. really was a writer at heart. I did go through, you know, a little bit of crisis. So how do you say that? A crisis in confidence um, when I was in my mid 20s. But I think most of us go through a little bit of a personality crisis uh, in our mid twenties, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, I think the, so. The, um, yeah, the mid midlife crisis. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I did explore some other possibilities. I did explore the possibility of going into like going to work for a publishing house, but I just um, journalism drew me back. Well, I think that's true too of uh, you know careers that are at their essence fairly creative and subjective. Right. Because you could find somebody who really helps you grow as a writer, somebody who really um, uh, mentors you in terms of your 
your your general neuro and maybe this is just me, but your general neuroses and anxieties over whether or not what you're writing is any good. And so if you find that person or people and they help you develop, it becomes a little bit easier to stay in that. But when you're doing something, whether it's music or art or writing, and you you know, you need that confidence boost every once in a while to know that you're doing well. That's true. Yeah. 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 I needed that. I still need that. So how am I doing? <laughs> you're doing fine. Great. Great. <laughs> so I think we've talked and I know. OK, so let me say this. I work at Rollins. You work at WMFE. We don't want to go anywhere. But I did want to bring this up based on your qualifications and based on mine. I don't know if you heard about this, but OUC, the Orlando Utilities Commission, their CEO is retiring. He's been there for 32 years. So why not? I'm just pitching this again. Wonderfully happy at Rollins College. Wonderfully happy at WMFE. I'm assuming you are. Why not hire two people for the CEO role at OUC? One, a vibrant, young, dynamic, and creative mind. That would be you. The other, a jaded, tired, old, and hairy guy. Uh, that would be me. <laughs> and I believe that's the textbook definition of leadership, sort of the yin and yang, uh, perfect strangers, the odd couple, the CEO couple. Uh, so if OUC is listening, I just wanted to throw out some ideas of how we could improve it. Okay. Um, because, I, again, I feel like you and I could lead that organization very sure. easily. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, as we talked about, electricity production should be sustainable. The mayor has set 2050 as the goal for 100% sustainability. Our promise, if we were to take over OUC, a solar power panel on every garage and two wind turbines in every pot. Okay. Got that. Uh, water. We need to start hoarding it. Let's get more of it and use it potentially as the new currency in a post-apocalyptic world. Okay. Because that's what every YA novel I've ever read, whether it's The Maze Runner or The Hunger Games or The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, <laughs> they all say that, you know, we're going to need water in the future. Let's just use it as the currency now. I agree. And then obviously at OUC, we'd start a radio station for our customers. Okay. Yeah. And because that's just start business. Okay, so you're I in? Think, I think those are all good ideas. Oh, you see, if you're listening, we're available for interviews. We're tough negotiators, though, especially Amy. I can see it in her <laughs> eyes right now. Very strong. Uh, so speaking of negotiations, we're going to take a break, uh, and we're going to come back in a few minutes with bad business ideas. You get to choose between that uh, and another one. We're going to talk about music okay. and the music you're listening to right now, the music you listen to with your daughter. And I'm really excited about that. We've got a pop culture and current event quiz. Okay. You're a reporter, so you better ace it. Should be interesting. And then, of course, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, which is coming out in 2020. Thanks. Which is called? Moving Water. Moving Water. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So we'll talk a little bit more with Amy Green coming up. And right now we're going to play a song from Ellie Golding. This is The Wolves. Uh, it's a Bon Iver cover, Act 1 and 2 on WPRK Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. Wowzer Bowser on WPRK Winter Park, Florida. That was Water Story from their self-titled album. Water Story, Wowzer Bowser. So many fun things to say. You're listening to a certain degree. My name is Nick, uh, WPRK Winter Park, Florida. WMFE is another station here in town, a wonderful station, who let us borrow Amy Green, who is here this morning. Good morning, Amy. Hey, nice to see you. Uh, it's nice to be seen, actually. Uh, so we have a, a little part of the show we have to do right now. It's called Bad Business Ideas. 
Bad business ideas. It's time to pick just one. It's gonna be totally legal. We hope it won't hurt anyone. So come on, let's some Yes, bad business ideas. They're like real ideas, but with fewer calories and less substance. Uh, before we get to bad business ideas, and I'm not sure if you can talk about this because I think this is a story that WMFE is covering, but I wanted to talk a little bit about, I had some ideas for to fix this problem that we're having here in Central Florida with organizations co-opting the name Orlando. Oh, so right. this has been going on for a while now, Seminole County. Uh, their tourism bureau started calling themselves Orlando North. And lately it's reared its ugly head again with airports. So we have obviously Orlando International and Orlando Executive. Orlando Sanford International Airport is 25 miles away, uh, but it has Orlando in the name. And then recently, I think it was in the last maybe uh, six months or so, or maybe even more recently than that, the Orlando Melbourne International Airport, right. yeah. which is 70 miles away. Yeah. So I have three potential solutions. As I mentioned, you may not be able to, to chime in on this, but if you'd like to, feel free. Uh, move all the airports closer so that yeah. they all are in Orlando. Uh, and I understand wanting some level of exclusivity. So that's idea one. Idea two would be uh, the you know that level of exclusivity for which is Orlando's airport air quotes on that one, but what if we go in the opposite direction from a branding perspective? What if we rename all airports in the southeast Orlando? So the Orlando Hartsfield Jackson Atlanta International Airport, okay, yeah, the Orlando Miami International Airport, and so on. So that way, Orlando's the name of all of them. Everyone's always thinking about Orlando. I they may not that, get to the right destination. Yeah, but I think it's a valid it. idea. Sure. Okay. And then, so there's three of them. How about we get some celebrity spokespeople? Because that way you identify with the celebrity spokesperson, depending on where you're going. Preferably, though, ones that have uh, some sort of compelling uh, beef with each other. So they're going through some sort of, uh, they're, they're in a fight, whether it's real or, or imaginary. So Katy Perry... Taylor Swift, Kanye West, we could have one of them represent each of the airports and try to compete for which one's best. Okay. And so that was the idea behind that one. Do you have any thoughts on that? I was thinking, what if you had Orlando Bloom, you know, speaking of celebrity endorsements, Ooh. what if you had Orlando Bloom talking about the Sanford Airport or the Melbourne Airport? I like that. Right? And so that's why it's called Orlando is right? because that's where Orlando Bloom is. Or what if you renamed the Sanford and Melbourne airports the, the near Orlando Sanford Airport? Or the, the, Orlando or the near adjacent. Orlando Melbourne. Exactly. Orlando adjacent Melbourne International Airport. There you go. Uh, we solved it. There you go. Nice job, Amy. Amy, may I call you Amy? Yes, you may. Great. Fleet Farming. Are you familiar with this organization yeah. here in town? Yeah. And uh, so what do, do you know what they do? They do, they do uh, urban farming, right? Yeah, so uh, they find uh, people with extra lawn space, right. basically. And so they go ahead and turn their lawn or part of their lawn into a part, you know, a farm, small farm. Uh, they grow stuff. The person who owns the lawn gets some of it. And whatever's left over, the flea farmers take and sell at different farmers markets and stuff to raise money to do more of this. Right. So they have bikes. They typically go around on their bikes to uh, service the lawns and uh, the crops and everything like that. 
So I was thinking about this. It's a great organization. Uh, where else do we have unused capacity to grow things? Well, there's the space in front of the courthouse, the downtown courthouse. Mm-hmm. Um, that's some empty space. Um, right. Truck beds. So oh, if okay. you're like me, I own a truck and, you know, the only reason you bought a truck, and I'm just saying hypothetically, this isn't me, uh, was so that more people would ask you for help with things and you could maybe socialize <laughs> more. Again, this is not me. I have plenty of friends. And maybe you could hang out after you help them move and have some pizza and, you know, a beer or two. You can be social. Uh, this is not me. This is someone else in time. I'm just that. saying hypothetically. I get that. Right, yeah. So I'm not using my truck bed a lot. Uh, so I was wondering, could we grow plants and vegetables and fruits in the back of trucks? I think that's a great idea. My only question with that idea is if you're someone like me who buys and sells things frequently over Craigslist and Mm -hmm. next door, can you still use the truck for transporting furniture? Yeah. So what we would do, that's a great question. And I thought of that. So what we would do is have the beds would actually slide in and out. Oh, gotcha. So you have this sort of central processing plant, pun intended, uh, (laughs) where you could drop the bed off for a little while if you needed to. I think the other thing you would have to think about if this was the, uh, the company and the business that you chose and I'm thinking you might because it's, you know, obviously environmental and things like that. Uh, but you never know. The second idea might be even better. Yeah. So just hold your horses there, Amy. Just, okay. okay. You can't choose yet. Okay. Uh, but the idea is that you'd have to have a pretty hardy stock in terms of the type of plants you're growing. Like something they could grow at high speeds. Just in case somebody's going down the highways or something like that. Maybe they grow faster uh, because you have to grow them out um, because they're going to be moving around. They're going to be jostled. Yeah. So can we grow that type of thing uh, out quickly or in a way that still makes it fresh and delicious? Yeah. Yeah. So something to think about. Uh, I really do like the name that I came up with for this. At first, I was going with uh, Snip and Truck. Okay. And uh, what I really like, though, is Farm Off the Turnip Truck. Okay. So that's the name of that one, Farm Off the Turnip Truck. So idea number two, any other questions on that one or any other comments? No, I don't think so. To make it better in case somebody listening wants to just steal it? (laughs) No, I don't think so. Okay, great. Uh, (laughs) Idea number two, Amy, have you ever been angry at someone? Um, Yes. That's awesome. I mean, not (laughs) that you were angry. Uh, Have you ever thought to yourself or maybe even said aloud, that person's going on my list? (laughs) Yes, that has happened. As in yes. a list of people you may seek <laughs> revenge upon at some point. Of course you have, uh, because everyone does that. Right? Everyone thinks about vengeance, not just Greek people like myself. Uh, but you don't actually have a list, right? No. Until now. Okay. Our new app, Track and Ruin, will do that for you. Did someone okay. not tell you about the spinach in your teeth at some point? <laughs> That your collar was popped or maybe, you know, the back of your shirt wasn't tucked in fully. By the way, your tag's sticking out. I'm just kidding, but I don't want you to be mad at me. Whatever the wrong is, whether it's real or imaginary, uh, you put into your phone, you put it into your phone through our app. And what you're probably asking yourself or what you want to ask me is, well, what has that different from any other list? Right. right? So were you going to ask me that? How is that different than any other list? Oh, nice. Uh, I'll tell you. I'm glad you asked. Okay. What Track and Ruin does is cross-reference the wrongdoer with all of the other apps on your phone. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they assign grudge points or the app would assign grudge points. So the idea is that 
let's say you were going to like something somebody put on Facebook, the app will automatically look them up and see if, oh, basically you're mad at this person. <laughs> Don't like their Facebook post. Or if somebody calls you and needs a favor, the app would actually prevent you from calling them back for three days or whatever the time frame is that uh, that it assigns based on the, you know, the beef that you have with this person. And so, uh, yeah, because what if somebody parked in your favorite parking spot? What if somebody made a backhanded compliment about your shoes? How else are you going to track these things? Track and ruin your retribution is our business. So is this an app that's aimed at kind of managing your frustration, you know, yeah. rather than lashing out impulsively? It, it, right, it right. prevents you from calling back, it, it, you know, for three days and it kind of helps. Oh, you. as sort of a, um, as it, a waiting it, period or cooling right, off period. Right. It helps, it helps give you a cooling now, off period. Well, what I was thinking, that might be a better way to describe it. What I was thinking is how does it help you be petty and passive aggressive? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, cooling off period sounds way better than that. <laughs> so I like that too. Okay. So uh, you have a choice. You have two wonderful meals set before you. Mm. Wonderful being a strong word. Uh, track and ruin or farm off the turnip truck. I think farm off the turnip truck seems yeah. like a more constructive use of time and energy. Yeah. <laughs> and you have so much of both. So uh, I'm not sure if you realize this, but you're legally obligated now to run with this okay. uh, idea. So all the time you have okay. um, while you're at WMFE ostensibly working, you will have to be doing this. I'll get to work on a feature or a documentary on it. I think that's great. Yep. I think that works out really well because it's just like plug and play sort yep. of PR. And every story you pitch will be around <laughs> farming on the in truck trucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, uh, Amy. Do you have any bad business ideas you want to share? No, not at the moment. Okay, good. Well, if you think of any, this is the venue for it. Okay, bad I'll keep that in mind. That's good to know. On uh, WPRK, I almost said WMFE. WMFE doesn't have any say, bad business ideas. You can say WMFE. That's okay. Well, I know, but I almost said that we're on WMFE. WMFE 90.7. The best the in uh, local news. Right. Yeah. And NPR. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you're listening to WPRK right now. And right now we'll play a song. This is the Mighty Accordion Band with April in Paris on WPRK. Warner Park, Florida, you're listening to a certain degree. The Mighty Accordion Band on WPRK, Warner Park, Florida. That was April in Paris. Good morning. You're listening to a certain degree on WPRK, Warner Park, Florida. It is August in Florida, which means it's very, very warm outside. And uh, luckily, Amy Green, who is here from WMFE, the environmental reporter, you never have to go outside to report on anything. I do from time to time, yes. I'm, I'm kidding. Of course you do. <laughs> You're the environmental reporter. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about, I ask every guest about music, and you had a really uh, interesting and unique response, which is, well, I'm listening to uh, Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson with my daughter. Yeah. And so I thought about, you know, going back to when my kids were younger and introducing them to music and, and, you know, trying to think about what they should listen to and maybe preventing them from listening to certain things so that they have an appreciation. They'll listen to it eventually, but have an appreciation for certain types of music. Uh, but without feeling like any particular genre, any particular artist, any decade was 
you know, the best. I didn't want to jam anything down their throat and make them think that this was the best thing ever. And this is what you should be listening to. Uh, so how are you finding that balance in terms of uh, introducing your daughter to music and balancing out what you like to listen to, too? I don't know how Stevie Wonder came about. I just I love listening to Stevie Wonder. You know, I have things on my phone that I listen to when you try to think of things that, you know, Rebecca, that you feel like Rebecca, Rebecca's my daughter, she's three. You try to think of, you know, things that she would enjoy listening to. Michael Jackson came about. <laughs> I think we were having some kind of meltdown in the car and I was just trying to think of, you know, what can I distract her with? And I when put, you say we, you were both having a meltdown in the car <laughs> or just her? It was just Rebecca. Okay. And, Is she um, listening, by the way? Because maybe we shouldn't talk about that. Oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. but, um, and so I just happened to have some Michael Jackson on my phone. So it's like, you know, here, let's put this on. This is catchy. And I can kind of, you know, be silly with her with, you know, Michael Jackson music. And, um, and you know how kids are. They like the same thing over and over. And so before I knew it, Smooth Criminal was Rebecca's favorite song. And, and, um, and you've heard it 2000 times. I've heard, I've heard it 2000 times. I've seen the video, you know, at least a hundred times at this point. Um, she talks about it at school with her teachers. She told her teachers that, you know, the, the teachers were asking the kids, what are some of your favorite songs to listen to with your mommy? It was a mother's day thing. And they were asking, you know, what are some of your favorite songs to listen to with your mommy? And some of the other kids said things like, you know, twinkle, twinkle. Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, you know, Farmer in the Dell, things like this. Rebecca, no, it's Smooth Criminal. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. She likes uh, Smooth Criminals? No, that's not right. Uh, <laughs> so Stevie Wonder, uh, Michael Jackson, how how do you pick your songs for, for listening to? And do you have different playlists for, obviously, for when she's listening, but uh, maybe when you're in the car alone or when you're working, when you're writing, do you listen to music? When I'm writing, I, I used to live in Nashville, Tennessee, and there is a wonderful radio station up in Nashville named Lightning 100, and um, it's an independent local radio station, and um, they, they kind of have this mission for promoting um, local, singer and so local singers and songwriters, and so they have interviews with, with um, singers and songwriters, and they also just play great music. They play Nashville music. Um, and then they play, you know, a mix of other things, you know, they'll throw some David Bowie in there, mm -hmm. some Soundgarden. Um, so a lot of times when I'm writing, I listen to, to that on the internet and also like to listen to Pandora, um, you know, have, you know, listen to all kinds of things on Pandora, depending on my mood. So does it help do you, uh, if you don't have music in the background, is it harder to write? Is it, you could do either way? You know, um, before going to work at WMFE, I freelanced as a print journalist for many years and I worked by myself from home and I always would have music on um, when I was working from home. Um, now that I am back working in a newsroom, I usually don't listen to music. Um, when you're writing for radio, it's kind of hard because you're going back and forth between listening to your bites on your headphones uh, and yeah, things like true, that. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I will put music on because a newsroom um, is a place where there's, you know, a lot of talking and activity. And if you need to really focus on, on, and concentrate on something, um, putting your headphones on and listening to music can help with that. So the organized chaos is not music enough for you. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So then uh, how do you get to new music? Is that just primarily through Pandora and, and avenues like yeah, that? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I discovered something new through Pandora just recently. Um, I love reggae music and discovered um, uh, an artist named Sister Nancy, who I guess is, she's been around for a while, but she's new to me. And so I downloaded her album recently and have been enjoying that one. Very nice. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully there's a couple of tracks uh, on the CD that I gave you. So I give guests uh, the music from the show. We barely get to play any of the music because I usually have such great guests. Uh, so, you know, I guess, you know, if you're a bad guest, if I'm playing a lot of music. Uh-oh. Probably shouldn't say that out loud. No, if you're a past guest and I played a lot of music. I'm just kidding. Uh, so why don't we <laughs> listen to some Stevie Wonder now? This Great. is We Can Work It Out on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. Amy Green from WMFE is here. Thanks for and having so me. so stick around. We've got a um, pop quiz coming up. She's going to do very well, I can tell. Yep. Yep. I, She's grimacing I didn't, nicely. I didn't study at all. Oh, well. And then uh, we'll just wrap it up here. Yeah, it's almost over. It goes pretty quick. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was enthusiastic. <laughs> That's not what <laughs> All right. All right, fine. <laughs> uh, Stevie Wonder, we can work it out on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. Stevie Wonder on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. We can work it out. Uh, and so that's what we've been doing. Amy and I have been getting along so well on the air, but off air, oh boy, it's a lot of arm wrestling. It's a lot of, uh, I don't want to say violence, but it's close. It's close. <laughs> Anybody who knows her, I think would see that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. My name is Nick. This is to a certain degree. Amy Green is here. Couldn't be any nicer. Thank you so much Amy, for being here. And putting up with uh, my sense of humor or lack thereof. Now you have to put up with a pop quiz. Okay. All right. So these are in no particular order, nor are they potentially correct. Uh, but you will have to answer. Okay. Anyway. So on this day in 2015, a woman in Germany discovered what is thought to be the oldest message in a bottle oh. ever found. Uh, coming in at 108 years old. This was back wow. in 2015. Uh, 108 years old was the bottle, not the woman. Uh, what was the message in that bottle? Was it A, a poem from Bartleby Tanner to his sweetheart, Emily Smythe Smith? Was it B, a postcard from the United Kingdom Marine Biological Association? Or was it C, a recipe for oysters Rockefeller? Definitely a recipe for oysters Rockefeller. It was very close. It was the actual, the postcard from the UK Marine Bio Biological Association. That's so fascinating. Yeah. So they released uh, back between 1904 and 1908, about a thousand bottles. And they were trying to figure out where ocean, uh, ocean currents were going and what would happen. And so they had the postcards and they said, please send this back. So we know where this bottle ended up. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So uh, how... I don't know how they do ocean currents now, but that seems like the best way. Yeah. I think there's a bad business idea there. You know, I don't know. Track. I don't know. Have you ever done a message in a bottle? I don't think I have. So wax it up on the top and seal it and throw it out there. If you were to do it, what would you put on it, do you think? Um, <laughs> you know what I think about when I think about doing that is all of the 
pollution, all of the pollution and the, the flotsam and jetsam that's already yeah. in our oceans. And I, I kind of cringe at the idea of adding to that. I hope that's not too cynical for people. No, no, <laughs> but that's, that's good. just kind of the, third, the first thought that popped into my head. All right. How about a time capsule? What would you write to your future self? Gosh, I don't know. I would have to give that some thought, I think. Okay. All right. While you're thinking, let's go into the next question. According to a survey of 1,500 professionals about their company's hiring plans for the next year, uh, specifically for recent graduates, what percentage ranked college major as the most important characteristic? So uh, they said, okay, this is going to be the most important thing we look for in recent college graduates. Uh, was it 43% said that was the, the main thing they'd be looking at? 23% or 3%? Oh, gosh. I hope it wasn't 3%. Um, I hope it was 43%. No, it was 3%. Really? Yeah. So they don't look at, and even fewer said GPA. Hmm. Uh, so what's happening is they ranked drive and passion very high. Yeah. So they look for that, you know, are they coming up at the grad fairs or the employment fairs? Are they showing something unique? Are they telling a story in their resume and their cover letter? Those all ranked uh, much more highly than the actual degree itself. I would imagine it depends on the industry. I think that I think for something like you know, journalism or education like is that, valued be, less than yeah. another for either occupations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Uh, this is interesting. So this is uh, regarding bike share. Uh, Seattle was able to turn around its failing bike share program, uh, and they attribute the success of the bike share program they have now to, uh, well, among other things, one specific thing uh, uh, in particular, was it A, replacing bikes with Flintstone-style cars that you power with your feet? Was it B, permits allowing for bikes to be parked without a dock or station system? Or C, tassels on the handlebar? You know, it's such a, I, I, you know, I can't decide what would be cooler, bikes with tassels or the Flintstone cars. I think that's the next extension of the bike share program is if we could get into. And, you know, if you're going to have the tassels, I think what you also need is the little bell, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, and the the shiny basket yeah. and a couple of other things. Right. Maybe some cards and the spokes to make noise. Yeah. Yeah. So, are you going with tassels? Um. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, very good. It was the permits for allowing for the bikes to be yeah. parked by themselves. So the bikes basically lock. You could technically take it, but they're all, you know, wired up. And um, yeah. uh, so you could find them fairly easily. But yeah, so you just scan it, unlock it and go. And uh, there are three private companies that are doing it. There's also, you know, uh, rides as cheap as a dollar. Mm -hmm. And so they're doing really well now. So as long as the bikes aren't blocking any driveways or anything, you just leave it outside, and if you're looking for a bike, you can find the closest one. So I like that. Mm -hmm. uh, according to a study of the 30 biggest uh, cities in the country, how does Orlando rank nationally when it comes to tipping at restaurants? Are we in fourth place, tied with San Antonio, seventh place, tied with Tampa, or last place, with Cleveland. You know, I have to wonder whether it's last place because we have so many visitors from across the globe and in many of those countries, tipping is not the custom. Oh, that's a good point. So this is data all from Square, uh, the company that does the little, that runs the little uh, credit card thing that goes in your phones and stuff. Uh, Orlando is fourth, actually. Oh, that's good. San Antonio, yeah. Uh, average gratuity of 16.8%. 
Pittsburgh actually topped the list uh, with a tipping rate of 17.6%. Cleveland dead last at 14%, but they're among good company. It's like all the major cities in the U.S. rank lower. Uh, So Washington, San Fran, Miami, Los Angeles, New York, Boston are on the bottom of the list Hmm. in terms of uh, tipping and such. Okay, now you asked me a question. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have to do that. We could, though, (laughs) because... Let me ask you this. What stories are you working on? Because I know you have at least one big story that's coming out tomorrow. I do. So this might be fodder for next week's uh, uh, pop quiz, current event quiz. Oh, right. Yeah, so I have a, I have a story coming out tomorrow, um, and it's actually Everglades related. And um, we talked earlier about that large farming community um, there in the Everglades agricultural area. And that's, um, that's uh, what the story deals with. It, it looks at that um, farming community and the impact um, that it has environmentally on the state of Florida. So that'll be coming out tomorrow. That'll be on Morning Edition tomorrow. Great. Yep. And I wanted to ask you about the U.S. sugar thing, the uh, the plot of land that they're taking and turning back into or restoring or using to restore the Everglades. Is there a consensus on how to do that? I, I don't know if that's part of the story tomorrow. I don't want to give anything away. Oh, uh, the story looks more at the environmental impact of farming on the Everglades, no, on the Everglades. Florida's okay. environment. Yeah. So the the particular piece of land that's that got donated under uh, you know the deal with Charlie Crist and all that that we talked about earlier. Is there still some debate about how to use that or have they started using that piece of land? So what happened, that deal actually, um, it kind of it kind of fell apart a little bit um, during the recession. The state of Florida just it, it, it just didn't have the money to follow through on that deal as they agreed on in 2008. So they so a smaller deal did go through and the state of Florida did acquire some land under that deal. And then you might remember during the spring legislative session this year, um, there was a bill that went through calling for the construction of a reservoir. um, And construction had been underway on a reservoir um, south of Lake Okeechobee in the Everglades. And um, that got halted, it got delayed. And so what this bill um, this year does is kind of gets that going again. So um, so that'll be a good step forward for Everglades restoration. Okay, so your story tomorrow, anything else going on that we should know about or that we might have missed? Um, I can't, I can't really think of anything. Okay, I don't want to commute with WMFE, so okay. I will also make up some stories. If okay. That'll be better. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, I won't do that. All of the stories <laughs> that I read about that the pop quiz was about were real, real stories. Why don't we play a song? Let's do a little bit of uh, Liz Fair. Do you like Liz Fair? Sure, yeah. All right. Explain it to me, which I think is appropriate because WMFE, that's basically from a reporting standpoint, that's what you do. Make it bite-sized. Yeah. Not make it bite-sized, but make it understandable, get to the key component of it and convey that. Yeah. Uh, without uh, putting any sort of, uh, you know, personal uh, uh, opinion into it. That's true. It's challenging. Yeah. I like putting personal opinions into things. That's not our job. Nope. Uh, That's my job. You're listening to A Certain Degree on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. Amy Green is here from WMFE, and we've just got uh, one more break left. So please tune in, and we'll tell you what else is going on in the world. Maybe? Sure. Okay. Yep. Uh, Liz Fair on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida.
Liz Fair on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. Explain it to me from Exile in Guyville. 90, 1993 that came out. Hmm. Man, that was a long time ago. Good morning. <laughs> my name is Nick. You're listening to A Certain Degree on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. My very special guest this morning has been and will continue to be Amy Green from WMFE. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So we just got a few more minutes left. Uh, we'll play a song and then get on your way. I will... Uh, you know, let you go back to WMFE to do uh, really good and important work that you're doing there. So thank mm-hmm. you very much for that. Um, and I think it's important to note, I, I so let me put this out there. Everybody here is a volunteer at WPRK. Uh, WMFE, I know you guys aren't volunteers, but uh, you go above and beyond to get the story. So if you want to just throw out some appreciation our way every once in a while on social media, uh, if you just want to call uh, the DJ, let him know that he's handsome. You can do that as well. Probably more on WPRK than WMFE because uh, I've seen Brendan um, burn over at WMFE and he's okay. He's got a nice beard. <laughs> uh, you can call us and say we have nice beards, but you should do that. Keep encouraging us because because we need that in our lives. So Amy, how can people stay in touch with you if they want to? Oh, um, well, I would ask people to listen to WMFE and um, to um, take part in the conversation that we aim to start, you know, using our airwaves. Um, Our campaign now is Dare to Listen. You may have heard some of those spots on WMFE. And um, the point there is, um, as you know, um, there's a, a lot of radio, a lot of things on the web. Um, you know, there's a lot of communications out there today that, um, you know, subscribe to one side or the other, you know, kind of, you know, kind of designed to, um, give listeners, give viewers, give readers a chance to consume something that conveys what they already believe or what they already know, kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, confirmation bias, I guess you call that. Um, at WMFE, our mission is not that. At WMFE, we strive to, um, you know, give um, give a chance at the microphone to everyone who has, you know, a variety of viewpoints. And, you know, and what we want to do is dare you to listen, challenge you to consider ideas that are, you know, outside of your comfort zone and, and consider those ideas um, that may be new to you, that might challenge you, but are worth listening to. Well, I, something I appreciate is uh, on the website is having the editorial guidelines front and center. Yep. So knowing what you're going to get, knowing the type of agreement that you have with the organization that you're listening to mm-hmm. um, and understanding that. So I really, I really enjoy that and, and the work that you're doing. Uh, so then let's talk about the book for a second. Okay. Moving Water. Yep. It's coming out in 2020. Yeah. And so you're still working on it and, and going through the process. And if you missed any of the show, we talked extensively. We're, we talked a little bit about the book and your process for writing. So if you want to listen to that uh, and you missed it earlier, we'll have a podcast up uh, later this week. I'll have a podcast up. You will be done with me after a few more minutes. Uh, but, you know, you'll be able to listen to a little bit more about that. What do you want to say about the book or what do you hope that people take away from it when they're done? Because do you already have sort of that part of the book or that, um, uh, you know, uh, takeaway from it already sort of in your head as far as what uh, what that is? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess in some ways I kind of see myself as an educator. I mean, a lot of the issues that I deal with are very political um, you know, issues like what's happening in the Indian River Lagoon, issues like what's happening in the Everglades are very political, you know, very kind of he said, he said kinds of things. And um, what I like doing most with my reporting is kind of cutting through that and kind of, you know, educating people on what really is true you know what really is causing the pollution in our waterways um you know is it as easy or is it as black and white as you know what one side or the other side would have you believe and usually it's not usually the the problems that our environment is experiencing are very complex and so um that's what i try to do with a lot of my reporting and that's what i hope to do with um with my book good yeah and do you think, so when it comes to issues of the environment, the complexity of them sometimes is what makes us think, well, let's, we'll deal with that later yes. or the next generation will be able to handle it or it'll, hopefully it'll fix itself. Yeah. If we just stick our heads in the sand, then something will happen or something will come along uh, when it comes to that. So what do you, what is the main go-to when you're telling that story or when you're telling a complicated story? How do you try to anchor it so that people get it a little bit more, take away something about, you know, it, it needs to be something that we're addressing sooner than later? I think, you know, I mean, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier with, you know, biting things off in smaller chunks, you know, um, you know, another good example of that is sea level rise and climate change. You know, that's a that's a global issue. It's it's one that we will continue to deal with, you know, for decades and you know decades to come and um and so i think you know i think the best way to bring these issues home for listeners and for readers is to break them off into small chunks that people you know can understand more readily and also focus on the human stories and and the people who are most affected great and I think that's that's it is by telling that human component yeah. and really bringing that back is yeah. uh, probably and something you guys do so well Thanks. at WMFE. Sure. Uh, okay. That's it. Anything oh. else you want to throw out there? Plug? Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. It's been it's my been, pleasure. Oh, no. It's been mine. Okay. Because mostly you had to put up with me and okay. you're delightful. <laughs> Thank and you. And I don't think I am. So you've been listening to WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. As I mentioned, if you go to toacertaindegree.com, you'll find this show and others. Uh, this show will be up later on this week. Fingers crossed. And uh, right now we're going to listen to Lights in Motion with Home on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week with another special guest, uh, Lauren Morris from AdLib Theater. And uh, yeah, we'll do it again, but different. That didn't make sense. Thank you so much for listening. And that's the show. Thanks for listening to A Certain Degree. Check out Amy's coverage of the environment and local news at WMFE.org or at 90.7 on your FM dial. You can also follow her on Twitter for updates on stories and her book on the Everglades at Amy B. Green. Need more interviews? Then visit toacertaindegree.com. That's T-O-A certaindegree.com. There are a ton of great episodes, but only a few have me doing the voiceover work. Before I was just the Foley artist. Really? Horse galloping sounds? Um, okay. Is that what horse sounds like?